0: Welcome to Life in Accounting, the Where Accountants Go podcast.
1: Life in Accounting is the podcast for everyday heroes like you working in the accounting profession. Are you ready to hear from accounting influencers,
0: thought leaders, visionaries, and other professionals leading change in the accounting world? Then stay tuned for Mark Goldman, a CPA, the owner of Where Accountants Go, and your host. Welcome
1: to Life in Accounting. So There's going to be sort of a brain drain is the one phrase that's used across all institutions in America including CPA firms. So how are they going to deal with that? And I think the successful firms have realized that for a while and are trying to take steps to deal with it.
0: That clip was from our guest for this week, John Sharbaugh, the very, very recently retired CEO of TSCPA. This episode's a little different than others in that John himself isn't an accountant but he's studied the profession from the inside for over 30 years. As you'll hear, he's worked with two additional state societies, AICPA itself, and all that was prior to his most recent 17-year period as the CEO of the Texas Society of CPAs. And he's staying on for a while to help out with governmental affairs. John's extremely knowledgeable about the accounting profession, and he has insight that I truly believe is unique in the real sense of the word. If you enjoyed this episode, please remember to visit us at our homepage at www.whereaccountantsgo.com for all the rest of our interviews with everyday heroes in the accounting profession. We release a new episode each and every week. That's www.whereaccountantsgo.com. As they say, on with the show. Well,
2: hello, John. Thank you for making the time to come on the show today. I, I know you've been very busy recently. Thank you so much.
1: Uh, my pleasure, Mark.
2: Well, I wanted to have you on the show for several reasons, but I guess the idea originally came to me when you were giving the presentation you gave in El Paso to the TSCPA board on sort of the future of the profession, the pipeline, challenges, opportunities, you know, items of that sort. I think you're actually the first guest I've had on the show that didn't at least start their career as an accountant, but you're also very unique in that you really are the only person we've had on the show that's had the opportunity to really study the profession. If we could, though, why don't we start with your own career and, and how you got started working with the state societies before we get on to the other topics? How did you start working with the accounting profession in the first place?
1: Well, it was totally by chance, which is the way a lot of things work in life. I was working on getting a MBA at the University of Florida and was in my final semester and was interviewing with some companies coming on campus. And one day I got a call from the director of the MBA program asking me if I was interested in a possible job opportunity in Gainesville, Florida, which is where the university was located. And the employer was the Florida Institute of CPAs. And I asked the director, well, what is that? <laughs> and he said, well, why don't you go talk to him and find out? And so I walked across campus a couple of days later for an interview and met with the CEO of the Florida Institute of CPAs and subsequently was offered a job with them to be their director of continuing education. And the rest is history. That was my entree not only into working with the CPA profession, but working in the world of associations and worked with them for several years and then subsequently was hired on as the CEO of the North Carolina Association of CPAs, which is the state CPA society in North Carolina. Did that for a while and then moved to the Washington DC area to go to work for AICPA in their Washington office. And Hmm. did that for about a dozen years uh, before coming down here to Texas. So 41 years later, all I've ever done is work with CPA groups, either at the state or national level. And it's been a terrific career for me that's now beginning to wind down.
2: Hmm. I'm curious, how did the state of Texas or TSCPA lure you away from AICPA?
1: Well, again, it was sort of a timing kind of thing. I I had been working at AICPA for a dozen years. My family, we have two children. They were now grown up and out of the house. And the Texas Society folks started talking to me about coming down here. And I said, well, I'm not really looking to make a move, or I'm not really looking for a new job. But I felt like it was probably in my interest to at least explore that opportunity. And I not only talked with the folks in Texas, I talked with with the society in California because they were also looking for a CEO at the same time. So I explored those opportunities and just decided that at that time, I was about 50 years of age, that it might be interesting to go back to work at the state level running larger society like texas is that that would be a challenge and maintain my interest i I was not unhappy at aicpa but i had been doing what i'd been doing there for about a dozen years and it was sort of like looking or at least considering a new challenge and i also having worked at the state level before it's a little bit different atmosphere you get closer to the members working at the state level than you do at the national level. Not that there's not any connection at all, but it's more hands-on and more relationship kind of building and getting to know people at the state level versus the national level. So anyway, okay. I definitely took a chance and like every other move I made, the chance ended up working out for me. And we have been here 17 years now and and still love it and have become Texans.
2: <laughs> well, welcome. <laughs> in a nutshell, I guess, I know your role recently changed, retiring from the CEO position, but then then you took on this governmental affairs role. I guess, what are your responsibilities in that area going to be exactly? Yeah,
1: well, that's another example of an unexpected circumstance playing out. I really didn't have any intention of doing this but the guy that had been running our governmental affairs program, Bob Owen, had a health issue come up and had to step down. And so it was sort of the circumstances that came up and I talked with our leaders that, you know, I could possibly fill that role at least until they got a new CEO hired and, and then they can collectively figure out how they want to deal with that longer term. So I'm sort of filling in during this legislative session which just started a month ago and my job as managing director of governmental affairs is to basically be the quarterback Uh, there's a lot of other people on the team but to manage our program the biggest focus right now is what's going on in the legislature we have a couple issues that we're working on proactively that we would like to accomplish on behalf Of the profession. But then a lot of what goes on while the legislature's in town is just monitoring what they might introduce that could have a a negative effect generally and play defense against legislation that might be harmful to our members in some way. So a big part of it is monitoring those kinds of things and then working proactively on the issues that we're trying to pursue. And we have a couple of those. So that's a big part of it when the is in session. Obviously, they're not in session all the time in Texas. And then the other pieces of the job are relationship building and monitoring what's going on at the State Board of Accountancy as licensed professionals. Obviously, the CPA profession is greatly affected by the State Board of Accountancy and how it carries out that function. So, go to State Board of Accountancy meetings, participate, monitor what they're doing when they propose rules. We evaluate those, provide feedback on them. And then we also do that with a couple other state agencies. Most of the intensity on that front is with the State Board of Accountancy, but we also monitor and have relationships with the State Comptroller's Office and other state agencies that might have an effect on our members. That's not as much activity on that front as with the State Board of Accountancy, but it does come into play from time to time especially with the comptroller's office and various issues, state taxation issues that could emanate out of there. So it's really monitoring what's going on in Texas from a legislative and regulatory standpoint. And then I guess the other piece of it is staying connected with AICPA and other state societies. Generally, what you find is state legislative issues don't happen in isolation, Issues will get traction, and if they get introduced in one state, it's usually just a matter of time until they find their way to other states. So, having connections to the national community can be helpful. That way, you're aware of what's going on in the larger world. And then, AICPA and NASBA also, for years, have been promoting greater uniformity in how CPAs are licensed and regulated since the profession tends to be one that practices across state lines, trying to make that as easy as possible, while at the same time making sure the public is protected. So a lot of attention to what's going on nationally across the country from a legislative and regulatory standpoint. And like I said, I'm just one of a number of people. We have other people on our staff that help in that effort. We also employ a couple outside lobbyists that help us, especially here when the legislature is in session. So it's, it's definitely a team effort and I'm just part of the team.
2: Okay. As I remember, you gave the society, I want to say maybe two years advance notice of your upcoming retirement, right? Was it?
1: Yeah, was it I think beautiful? it was like almost three years, which you know in this kind of a position just uh, show up and give two weeks notice it's, <laughs> it's uh you want to make sure that the organization has time to react and prepare for that so I'm as I if- would meet every year with our executive committee or executive board and and compensation committee we would talk about that and so finally as I was getting closer to i guess a normal retirement age i don't know if there is a normal <laughs>
0: <laughs> retirement age
1: anymore for, for anyone. Every person is different, but I wanted to make sure that they were aware of when I was planning to check out so that we could have an orderly transition. I care a lot about the organization, so I want to make sure that that happens successfully. So that gave them time to get it on their radar screen and and lay the groundwork to deal with that, which they've done. We've got our new CEO on board, Jody Ann Ray. It was the same kind of thing, I think, that CPA firms, you know, have to do within their organizations and planning for succession and and trying to make sure that that gets carried out as effectively as possible.
2: Okay. I'm just curious, how recent was it that you found out that you may be stepping into this governmental affairs role?
1: Well, that happened just about a year ago when, like I said, Bob Owen was was handling these responsibilities and... And then all of a sudden, he had a health issue come up that was not going to allow him to continue doing that. So at that point, we had that conversation. And I told the leadership, we can handle this in different ways. I can go out and try to hire somebody now to do that role. But since we know I'm going to be leaving, it might make more sense to allow the new CEO to come in and hire the person they want to have rather than inheriting somebody that I just hired on short notice, and I said, so I could try to cover those duties until that transition takes place, and then the new CEO has an opportunity to be involved in that process. So people thought that was a good idea, and so that's why we are where we are now. It was the same way, typically at TSCPA, we do strategic planning, and we've been doing it sort of on a three-year cycle, but that cycle was coming up. And so we discussed that as well and decided to postpone it for a year so the new CEO could come on board and be very involved in that process rather than inheriting some plan that somebody else just came up with right before they walked in the door. So we were trying to deal with issues like that, knowing that a new person was going to be coming in to help run the organization. Okay.
2: Well, that makes a lot of sense. That was... It was good to change the status quo and <laughs> make some adjustments. That is good. Well, well, getting into the profession, I guess, like, like I mentioned, I, I remember the presentation in El Paso, but I'm sure you've thought much about those items you know, since then. That was a year or two ago. What are your thoughts on the future of the profession or, or the accounting profession in, in general? What, what do you see coming up for us?
1: Well, the, the profession is like right now doing really great. I mean, if you yes. look at the opportunities for employment, that's why a lot of young people are being attracted to the profession. Or there are jobs, you know, for CPAs. And I think most of the CPA firms I talk to seem to be thriving in terms of their business opportunities. In fact, when you talk to many of them, they'll tell you they could they could be even doing more if they could hire people. You know, that's a challenge is adequate numbers of people, but At the same time, while things are are looking good right now, it doesn't guarantee that it's going to be that way forever out into the future. And so I think that's what I was trying to convey in that presentation you're referencing to the board of directors. Because when you're successful and things are going great, you tend to become complacent. I'm, I'm not talking just about the CPA profession. I'm talking that tends to be human nature. While when we're doing well, We tend to think that everything's great and everything will continue to be great, but that doesn't always pan out. There's plenty of examples of successful companies that all of a sudden and fairly quickly encounter challenges and some of them aren't even around anymore. So it can happen. And it was sort of like trying to make sure our members don't become complacent and are continuing to look out into the future and looking at the trends that are going on that could possibly have an effect on the profession. And I'm certainly not any kind of expert in that. A lot of it is I have the opportunity in my job to go to national meetings and hear presentations on a lot of these kinds of subjects. When you go to AICPA meetings, that's generally part of their focus is trying to look at the future. And so what I shared at that meeting were some of the trends that are playing out and could have an effect on CPAs as well as society at large. And I think I focused in that presentation, I mean, there's a lot of them, but I was focusing on three particular ones, technology, globalization, and demographics. And with respect to that last one, demographics, That's playing out across our society. I'm like a living example of that. I'm part of the baby boom generation. So my career is coming to an end and I'm stepping down. And there are a lot of other baby boomers that are stepping down. And there's a lot of them in the CPA profession because it's a societal issue. And so how will the CPA profession deal with that as the experienced members of the profession are starting to age out? And so that's just a problem that firms and companies that employ CPAs are going to have to deal with. There's not adequate numbers in the generation right behind the baby boomers to replace all those people. The next generation back, the millennials, is another huge generation from a population standpoint. But it will take time for them to catch up and get the experience they need to have. So there's going to be sort of a brain drain is the one phrase that's used across all institutions in America, including CPA firms. So how are they going to deal with that? And I think the successful firms have realized that for a while and are trying to take steps to deal with it. And there's various ways you can do that. And you're seeing that play out. So like I said earlier, you know, normal retirement, everybody always viewed normal retirement as 65 because that was the Social Security retirement age, although now it's being bumped up. But a lot of our members don't want to retire. That you know they're interested in continuing to work, they're healthy. What they do is not physical but more mental. And as long as they can, they want to continue to work. And so firms are trying to find ways to accommodate that. In the past, a lot of firms had mandatory retirement ages, so I think some of them are beginning to rethink that. Or they're retiring as partners, but they're finding other roles that they might play. So you have that issue as well as recruiting new people in, as well as trying to accelerate the development of the younger people that you do have on your staff. So I think demographics and the aging of the profession is going to be an issue that is going to be a challenge for the next five to 10 years as all of that plays out. Another issue I mentioned was technology. And Mm-hmm. You don't have to be Albert Einstein to to see how much technology has affected our society at large as well as the CPA profession. I see that dramatically over the course of my career. When I started working there were we didn't even have a computer let alone a desktop computer and then all of those things came into play and obviously have allowed all organizations including CPAs to be more productive and to do things easier and faster. And that's all good, but the technology will continue to evolve and has the potential to displace people. We see that going on now. So part of what I talked about at that meeting was that CPAs needed to think about the fact that things could be dramatically different because of technology. And I think I had a slide that showed the billions and billions of dollars being invested in places like Silicon Valley to develop financial software packages that could have an effect on the kinds of services that CPAs provide. And one example was the possibility that the audit would be displaced because some technology people will develop some way to provide real-time information that investors could rely on about companies that they might want to invest in. That would be more meaningful to them than the traditional audit looking back. So I'm not smart enough to figure out like what that could all translate to. But the point is, if it's possible, then someone's going to develop it, especially if they can make a dollar off of it. And you've seen that in the advancement of tax preparation software and all that kind of stuff. That hasn't affected a lot of CPAs as much as more routine tax preparers. I mean, people can now go online and do their own taxes rather than go into H&R Block if they want to. Our members generally have more sophisticated kinds of clients. So I don't think you're ever going to have tax services completely displaced by technology, but it's going to have an effect. And so that was the intent was to get members thinking about all of that and how they're doing things. The other piece is if they're not really focusing on and learning about technology so that they can assist their clients, that's a mistake because their clients are going to need to have that kind of assistance. And if they can't get it from their CPA firm, then they're going to turn to somebody else that can provide it. So I think it's critical that CPAs at least have on their plate as a service they provide Technology and it may not mean that every person in the firm is a technology expert, but they got to have people who can provide those kind of services to clients. So I think technology has the potential to be a major game changer for society and for CPAs, and therefore that's something that firms and others need to be thinking about. And then the last thing I touched on was was globalization and just the fact that we're operating in a global environment now. There's been a whole lot of conversation on that over the last 12 months in the political arena. As the (laughs) races went on, I don't know that you can stop it. I mean, you could try to do things that would slow it down, but it's a combination of the technology and the fact that you have people around the globe who can also provide services and do things. And you see that within some of the larger firms. They're using people in other countries who have the technical know-how and expertise to provide assistance and whatnot. So it's possible through the technology to communicate and do business with anybody on the planet. So you're not going to turn the clock back on that and you have to figure out how to deal with that and how that might have an effect on the profession and on individual CPAs. So I think those are just three areas. There's, there are many others, but Those are some of the trends that I think the profession really needs to think about. And professional organizations like TSCT and AICPA can help their members in understanding that and trying to assist them as they have to deal with it.
2: What are your thoughts on what we should be doing as common CPA members (laughs) to influence the entry of people into the profession?
1: Well, I, I think, you know, all the larger firms have heavy presence recruiting on campus and a lot of the young people coming out of college especially the ones that you know are the the top achievers tend to get recruited and go to work in those firms but they don't stay there i mean and that's been Mm -hmm. historical since i've been involved with the profession it's like big firms recruit lots and lots of people but only a percentage of them end up staying there for their entire career. So a lot of those people may start there, but they're going to end up going somewhere else along the line. So I think smaller firms ought to have a presence on campuses where they can do that so that they can explain to students that there are other options, that they have a different kind of environment that they could work in compared to the Firms, so I think they've got to get out there and and tell their story so that young people understand what the alternatives are, what their opportunities are, and if they don't get them at that entry point level, there's high probability they may be talking to them again somewhere down the line. Because, like I said, a, a large percentage of the people that go to work in those large firms are not going to stay there for their entire career. The other issue is you're seeing more compared to 40 years ago. You didn't have a whole lot of companies come on campus to recruit, to hire CPAs. They tended to hire ones that decided to leave firms or whatnot. But now you're seeing some of the bigger companies also recruiting on campus. And some young people are going not into public accounting, but going directly into working in a business or a company in accounting and finance eventually maybe becoming CFO at some point in their career. So it's a a different world. I think young people are a little different today than they were 30 or 40 years ago. They're not worse. That's one of the problems. I think older members of the profession tend to be critical and complain about the younger generation. But I think they're just different and have different motivations. And as employers, I think firms and companies that want to hire them need to understand them better and what motivates them. But from what my exposure has been, they're very bright and they can be just as productive as my generation was. They just are a little bit different in how they maybe see the world. Okay.
2: Now, I'm curious, given as long as you've been with TSCPA, we talk a lot right now about the pipeline, the people entering the profession, and how there's a shortage, the ratio of people pursuing the certification itself. Was all this conversation going on back when the economy wasn't quite as good, you know, back in 2008, 2009? Did, did yep. we perceive the pain back then as well?
1: Well, I think we sort of hit a lull, which was to be expected when the economy was affected as greatly as it was. But the profession, when I got into the profession, at least at the state society level and AICPA level, we really didn't have to do much marketing. I mean, most young people coming out of college, when they became members of the profession, were joining their state societies in the AICPA. So, Our challenge was processing the paperwork more than trying to spend a lot of time trying to recruit people because it was sort of almost automatic. If you were going to become a CPA, you were going to join your professional organization. And over time, that began to change. And then it was coupled with, in the 1990s, there was a drop-off in kids going into accounting in colleges as the whole technology field exploded. And so a lot of young people diverted into technology majors and technology fields. So the period of the 1990s was not a good one in terms of recruiting younger people into the profession and majors in accounting and all that kind of stuff. Well, that sort of crested with the dot-com bust and young people figuring out that they were not all going to be the next Bill Gates and, and job opportunities began to dry up. In that field, all of a sudden, accounting looked positive again because there were (laughs) job opportunities there. So since the early 2000s, the numbers started coming back, and that was a combination of what was going on in the employment opportunity situation, as well as a major effort by the professional organizations, AICK and state societies, trying to do a better job explaining to young people what the opportunities were in accounting. And so I think it was a combination of those two factors that helped bring the numbers back. And so the pipeline sort of got filled up again with people majoring in accounting and firms hiring. The hiring piece did slow down when the recession hit, but that only lasted you know for a few years. And I think we're now back again where it's a healthy hiring environment and young people have lots of opportunities if they have a degree in accounting they pretty much are guaranteed they're going to be able to get a job somewhere.
2: Okay. This just occurred to me too, or, or this question just popped in my mind. If if an accounting major or a fairly young professional wanted to look into the differences between becoming a CPA and not becoming a CPA, and what the effect that would have on their career, where, where's the best place to go to find out that information? Have there been any earning studies done? or <laughs> Uh, yeah yeah uh, no there have
1: out. we've got some information on our website a i c k 's got information on their website yeah they 've done studies that show that if you get your c p a certificate it's going to have a long term positive effect on your bottom line earnings because employers will pay for that, so it may not be readily apparent to young people in their initial job opportunities because there is probably not as much differentiation. But over the course of their career, having a CPA certificate will give them, I think, more advancement opportunities, allow them to go into positions where they can earn more. So the differentiation is not huge at entry level, but it becomes much bigger down the road in terms of what other opportunities they're going to have.
2: Okay. Now, that's been my experience or thought is that one of the harsh realities <laughs> <laughs> about passing the CPA exam or not is that it doesn't matter too too much in the first couple years but that's when it's the easiest to pass and then the yeah, exactly. you get away from-
1: and our current yes. chairman Kathy Kapka this has been sort of a crusade that she's been on trying to get that word out to young people so that they understand because some of them Since there are so many jobs available coming right out of college, they're sort of taking the path of least resistance, and they're not necessarily looking out into the future and taking a longer-term look at what's this going to mean if I don't invest the time now and pass the exam, because they know that every year you go by without sitting for the exam and getting it done, it's likely not going to happen. You're going to just finally not even pursue it anymore. So. The best time to pursue it is right out of college when you still have the knowledge and the ability to pass. But it does take time and effort.
2: Well, is there any other advice or, or thoughts you'd like to share sort of in the tough love category? Anything we need to hear as accounting professionals? Uh, now that you're retired officially. <laughs> <CEO>. <laughs> yeah,
1: no, just sort of that theme I mentioned earlier in that presentation I gave is that it's very easy, you know, when things are rocking and rolling and you're, you're doing well. And that's, that's true for organizations, whether it's CPA firms or companies. That's true for the individual. Like we just talked about there, a young person coming out of college. Oh, well, I, I got plenty of people who are willing to offer me a job. You've got to look beyond the here and now. You always have to be looking out into the future, whether that's individually or organizationally, and see what your opportunities are. What are the long-term effects of this decision going to be? Are there things that could possibly affect me? Things are going well now, but could they affect me down the road if I don't respond appropriately, if I don't continue to have the right kind of skill sets? I think that's the other issue is... Young people need to understand college is just step one. I mean, in the rest of your life, you're going to have to continue to learn and continue to add skill sets and develop yourself, or you're not going to be successful for your entire career. And I know some of them don't want to hear that because they feel like spending four or five years in college, that they really don't want to have to go through that anymore. But it really (laughs) is. It's It's just the stepping off point. In a career. It's not the end.
2: Okay. Wonderful. Well, there's four questions I end every podcast with, and I want to get to those, but I I do have one more question. This governmental affairs position is it sounds like an interim kind of role. So what's next for John? Have you thought much past that?
1: Well, I mean, there's a possibility. I mean, I signed up to do this through June, but there's a possibility I may continue doing it beyond that for a little while. But I think in terms of employment, that's only going to go on for me for a couple more years. And then I'd want to fully retire, at least from, from working. But when I reach that point, yeah, there's other things I'd like to get involved in volunteering myself for organizations that I'm interested in and doing more things with my family, have more time to spend with my wife and our children and grandchildren. So those would be my priorities once I once I'm no longer pulling down a paycheck as they say. Okay. Okay.
2: Are they more like nonprofit interest or Yeah, nonprofit interest, I guess? And
1: community organizations where maybe I can make a contribution for causes or organizations that I'm interested in.
2: Okay. I'm sure there's a lot that could use someone with organizational management or association management background. (laughs) Well, thank you again. Getting into the final four questions, I guess, first of all, and and usually the easiest, what's been your proudest moment?
1: Well, I mean, from a personal standpoint, my proudest moment is my children, our children, my wife and I, we have a son and a daughter and uh, having them was fantastic and now they're adults and so... I'm just proud of how they've grown up as people and they're both productive members of society in their own careers. And so that's always fantastic as a parent to uh, see your children grow up and, and be successful. And I don't mean necessarily financially successful, just successful as people they're happy and, and now starting to have families of their own. So that can't get anything better than that.
2: Mm -hmm. Okay. Wonderful. I agree. Well, Tell us about a mistake you've made, what you learned from it, and frankly, the more colossal, the better.
1: Well, I don't know if it was colossal, but it was one that happened in my first year on the job, and I've never forgotten it. When I was working at the Florida Institute of CPAs, this was before computers, so there was no email or anything, (laughs) and I wrote a letter to one of our members. The issues aren't important, but anyway, I wrote a letter pointing something out to this person about a policy we had or something. And the next thing I know, a few days later, after the letter goes out in the mail and and gets to them, which is the way it worked back then, I got a call from the member about the letter. And he was really nice. And it was a learning experience. And he said, hey, John, you know, what I want to know is why did you send me this letter? Why didn't you just pick the phone up and call me and talk to me about this? Oh. You know, and I was like 25 years old. And he said... (laughs) Let me just give you a tip. He said, in the future, if you have to communicate something like this, pick the phone up and call the person. And I've never forgotten it. And now you have the same situation with email. If you have to communicate with somebody about anything that's serious or controversial or anything like that, it is best to not do it through writing. It is best to do it Either face-to-face or telephone would be the second best option because then you can like actually have a conversation with a person, engage how they're reacting to what it is that you're saying to them. And I've tried to always adhere to that and remember that because it just allows for much better and more effective communication. And I think the problem's only gotten worse because back in those days, you know, writing a letter was not insignificant today with email and texting and all that kind of stuff people fire stuff off they don't really think it through and if the subject matter involves anything that that could be you know sensitive or controversial it's not a really good way to do it so that was my lesson and uh, i've tried to adhere to that to to have a more personal kind of conversation about anything of substance like
2: that that's great advice. I, I, I think if we're all being honest, all of us have had that moment where we regretted the verbiage we used just right after clicking send, and it's it's too late at that point. Yep, yeah. <laughs> can't bring it back. <laughs> at least at least in the the quote old days, you had to walk the letter to the mailbox. You had a little. Well, time. in the old days, you
1: would draft the letter, and then and then, oh. and then you'd go through a few iterations trying to tone it down usually, (laughs) but you still aren't always successful.
2: If you were lucky, you had a typo and you had to retype the whole page on the typewriter. (laughs) 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 Well, third question, who's been the biggest mentor or influencer, so to speak, so far in your career?
1: Oh, well, I don't know that I could name one. I mean, there've been several people. I mean, the first boss I ever worked for at the Florida Institute of CPA's had a huge effect on me because I was a young person and just sort of learning the ropes in my career and in life in general. And he was a tough, tough guy to work for. He was a taskmaster, but he helped me understand how hard you had to work and how much it was worth working hard and planning. Uh he was like the supreme planner. And so that was something I I learned pretty quickly was that you were going to be more successful if you developed a game plan for whatever it is you were approaching, you know, a specific problem or how you were going to manage your business. You needed to plan that all out. And then you needed to work extremely hard to accomplish it. This guy was a former scholarship football player at the University of Florida. So he was gruff at times, but I learned a lot from him. And then when I was working at AICPA I worked for a Texan, actually, a guy named B.Z. Lee, who had been the managing partner of Seedman and came to the AICPA to run their Washington office for a few years to try to get things better organized and in shape. And he was another interesting person that I got to work with and observe how he dealt with people and how he treated people. And then I'll tell you what, every volunteer leader that I've worked with over my career, you spend a year working very closely with whoever the chairman is that year. And everyone was different and every person had different kind of talents. And so I always tried to be an observer of human nature and how these successful people, the kinds of things they did and how they dealt with people and how they dealt with problems. So a whole lot of people, I'm um, probably a combination of of all these various people I've had the great opportunity to work with over my career, and you try to focus on the positive strengths that these people have and and try to emulate them.
2: Okay, well, that answer doesn't surprise me because I read the article that recently came out about your retirement and and how that's what you've most enjoyed is is the people interaction, the people contact: Oh yeah, so yes, yes. Well, what's the best advice you've ever received?
1: Well, this was one. I mentioned this guy I started working with at the beginning of my career. He was he was really big on sayings or phrases. And okay. One of the ones he constantly used, and I've tried to remember it my whole life, is you never get a second chance to make a first impression. And that means that every time you come in contact with a person and they don't know you, this is it. This is like the opening act. This is <laughs> This is like you're on stage. <laughs> And whatever happens in that first, probably like five to 10 minutes is going to have a tremendous effect on how they view you from that point on. So you ought to be nice to every person you come in contact with and try to be civil with them, especially because they may come back into your life at another point in time. I know some people, you know, think they can treat different people differently, but my philosophy is you ought to treat everybody the same and try to be as nice as you can, because you never know when they may be somebody could, who could help you down the road somewhere. So, And it's just the right thing to do. So it's tough some days to do it, but I think it was good advice that I, I tried to adhere to.
2: Well, that's good advice, particularly if you're looking to have a successful career in association management, I would think.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, it is all about people. Yes. That's how we can get anything done at TSCPA. It really requires us being able to recruit and have volunteers who are willing to give their time and effort. But that's one of the energizing things of, about this kind of work is you get to meet and work with a lot of different people.
2: Yes. Well, I know you're relatively easy to contact through TSCPA and you know the internet, LinkedIn, and that kind of thing. but. If someone wanted to get more information on becoming active with TSCPA outside of just the website itself, I mean, is there a a best department to contact or best individual to contact at TSCPA?
1: Well, I know Jody and Ray, our new CEO, would love to hear from them, but also our membership area, Janet Overton, who's our director of membership and marketing, would also be a good contact point. Wonderful.
2: Okay. And I have our contact information. I'll include that in the show notes. Wonderful. Well, thank you, John. I I knew it was going to be a quality interview, but I really got some additional gems I wasn't anticipating. So thank you very much. I appreciate the extent that you went to to prepare for this, particularly on the technology, demographics, globalization, all all that conversation. Thank you so much.
1: Uh, It's been my pleasure. And uh, I, I wish you well. And all the CPAs, I know you do a lot of work with CPAs and CPA firms, so good luck to you.
2: Thank you. Well, I hope to see you again at the event soon.
1: All right. Same here, Mark. Thanks. Bye-bye.
0: Well, that was my interview with John Sharbaugh. I know I said it in the interview, but I want to reiterate to John if he's listening to this post-production, thank you so much for sharing your time. We touched on it a little in the interview, but this was recorded during the week that the CPA Society was visiting Austin during a legislative session. So John's time was very much in demand to say the least. I hope you gained some insight from John's comments on the future of the accounting profession. I think there's also a lesson about commitment in there as well. John got started by working with the different state society of CPAs basically by chance, only to find out that it was something that he was really passionate about. And by staying the course, it worked out into a long and fruitful career that continues to be rewarding to him, even in this post-retirement period. If you haven't yet visited our homepage at www.whereaccountantsgo.com, please visit the site for this and all our other episodes there as well. This has been Life in Accounting, the Where Accountants Go podcast. I'm your host, Mark Goldman, and we'll be back next week. There's more to come.